0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 118. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, the relatively low bar for limiting the nonjudicial use of deposition transcripts and recordings. Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great week. Today's episode is just a reminder that because of a change to Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 5D in the year 2000, which removed the requirement that discovery materials be filed with the court, the standard now for restricting the use of deposition transcripts and recordings outside the confines of the litigation is much easier than it was before that amendment. And so the elimination 23 years ago of that automatic filing requirement for discovery materials meant the end to the so-called presumptive right of public access to pretrial discovery materials and we're talking about it today because of yet another court ruling which mistakenly held that there is still a presumptive public right of access to discovery a ruling that was based on old and inapplicable case law and so the current standard for seeking an order restricting the use of deposition transcripts and recordings is simply good cause under federal rule of civil procedure 26C1 and its state equivalents. That's the general rule on discovery in the federal system, which has state analogs in a supermajority of jurisdictions. The applicable provision says in part that, quote, the court may, for good cause, issue an order to protect a party or person from annoyance, embarrassment, oppression, or undue burden or expense, close quote. And so that rule is broad enough include restrictions that would forbid parties from using the testimony for any non-judicial purpose such as to post it on social media or on a party's website. It's something for litigators to proactively consider when developing a deposition plan at the start of the case. The question to ask is, is this a case where we should seek a protective order before the start of any depositions? restrict the use distribution or release of deposition transcripts and recordings beyond the case at hand and if we don't do it ahead of time what remedy if any would our deponent or our clients have after the transcript or recordings make their way onto the internet there are tens of thousands of deposition videos on YouTube alone right now for example Uh, Posted by lawyers, law firms, political advocacy organizations, news media, and a range of individuals. And these aren't just deposition videos of celebrities or political figures. There are a lot of deposition videos of quite ordinary people talking about very private, very embarrassing, very painful things. As to many of those videos, there may be no way to tell who put them there. And worse, there may be no easy way to remove them. It's important to know the correct and relatively modest standard for keeping a lid on the use of deposition transcripts and recordings, because you may still encounter a judge in the federal system and in the many states that follow the federal rules, who holds the mistaken view that there is a right of public access to unfiled pretrial discovery materials, Based on old cases that spoke of such a right when the rules required discovery to be filed. Prior to the year 2000, the rules required the filing of deposition transcripts, interrogatory answers, answers to requests for admissions, and so on. And it made sense then, given the automatic filing requirement, that the public should have access to public court filings. The idea was that discovery requests and responses were sometimes of interest to those who wouldn't otherwise have access to them except by the requirement of filing such as members of a class litigants in a similar position with similar claims or the public generally but no more in 2000 rule 5d was amended to finally do away with the automatic filing requirement entirely indeed the rule at that time essentially went from must file to must not file until used with the term used interpreted as meaning filed which is to say the fact that discovery responses might be used in a deposition does not mean that they must then be filed they must only be filed when used in conjunction with another court filing or a filing requirement imposed by uh, the judge so the current version of rule 5d1 uh, now reads in part as follows The following discovery request and responses must not be filed until they are used in the proceeding or the court orders filing. And then it lists depositions, interrogatories, requests for documents or tangible things or to permit entry onto land, and requests for admissions. Now, the occasional but still lingering problem of judges erroneously treating unfiled discovery materials as somehow subject to a public right of access most recently surfaced uh, in April 2023 in a Michigan case currently working its way through the courts. That case uh, cited in the show notes is AFT Michigan versus Project Veritas and an individual defendant, Marissa George. Who is alleged to have acted on behalf of Project Veritas? Uh, AFT Michigan, the plaintiff in that case, is the state organization in Michigan affiliated with the National American Federation of Teachers. And so the lawsuit filed by AFT Michigan alleges that Project Veritas and Miss George misled AFT into giving Miss George an internship during which she allegedly improperly obtained internal documents and recorded various AFT staff member conversations. During the course of discovery, a non-party witness asked the court to limit the questions that Project Veritas and the individual defendant could ask her, and further to forbid the defendants from videotaping her deposition. Now, the witness uh, wasn't attempting to restrict the use of the deposition in its entirety, but she did not want it videotaped because, she alleged, Project Veritas had already uh, supposedly used a videotaped deposition of AFT's president to, quote, score political or fundraising points, close quote. The federal magistrate refused to forbid Project Veritas from videotaping the deposition, and the judge did so citing the doctrine of presumptive public access that existed under the rule prior to 2000. In an April 10, 2023 order, the district judge on review of the magistrate's ruling made plain that the magistrate had erred as a matter of law because, quote, there is no such presumption with regard to unfiled discovery materials at least since the 2000 amendments to the federal rules of civil procedure, close quote. Uh, The judge added that the argument for public access uh, was destroyed, the judge said, with the changes to Rule 5 in 2000, with those changes forbidding the filing of discovery materials until they are used in the proceeding or until a court orders their filing. The problem here is one that is common with respect to case law governing depositions. There are five federal procedural rules that deal directly with depositions and many more that indirectly affect the deposition process and all of those rules are constantly being modified. So the key when researching deposition-related issues is to know which rule applies, which version of the rule, and when that version was adopted. From there, it's always critical to carefully separate out the cases based on the version they're interpreting. Judges and parties still often cite cases based on versions of a deposition-related rule that does not apply to the dispute at hand. And that was the problem here in the uh, AFT Michigan case with the magistrate's ruling. It was premised on a doctrine that had been undercut in its entirety more than 20 years earlier through the amendment of Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 5D, which eliminated the automatic filing requirement. A footnote here as well, I've sometimes wondered whether the fact that legal research is now done entirely online makes it harder to some extent for lawyers and judges to appreciate that the search results are old and based on outdated versions of the rules. In ye olden days one would have to wander into a law library and could easily see that the book containing a given case appeared to be older than dirt with the pages a yellowed patina a vintage font, and an aroma when you first opened the volume that reminded you of the moment you first stuck your head in grandpa's attic as a child. All unmistakable signs of precedent that was probably past its prime, but no more. Now online, all cases look exactly the same. Of course, they contain dates and citations that clue us into the fact that the case may be very old, but our digital screens still lack those other law library warning signs of cases decided in another era. Anyway, in rejecting the magistrate's ruling, the district judge in the AFT Michigan case said, quote, given that there is no presumptive right to public access to pretrial discovery materials and that the purpose for broad discovery is to aid in the litigation and the resolution of the case at hand, the good cause standard in Rule 26C should not present a substantial hurdle to clear where the movement seeks a limited protective order concerning nonjudicial documents, quote. And the judge cited some other cases for the same principle, one of which held that Rule 26C's good cause standard is a low hurdle to clear when the movement seeks a modest protective order limiting the use of deposition transcripts and recordings to litigation of the case at hand, end quote. So some lessons and thoughts arising from this brand new ruling uh, out of the Eastern District of Michigan. Number one, it's always important when reading cases about deposition issues to know which version of the rule was in effect at the time the dispute arose. It might be a version that no longer applies to your situation. Even the court may have applied the wrong version. So it's important as well to understand when, in a reported decision, the dispute arose and to verify that the court applied the correct version of the rule in existence at the time. In AFT, Michigan, the court did not. Second point, for unfiled discovery material in the federal system and in the supermajority of states that are modeled on the federal rules, The general discovery rule on protective orders imposes a good cause standard, which, for legitimate purposes of limiting misuse of discovery, requires a particularized explanation of actual or potential harm, but which is no longer burdened by vague notions of the public right of access. Point number three. It's always a good idea, as part of our early deposition planning, To evaluate the potential for misuse of deposition transcripts and recordings, and to make an informed judgment, together with our clients, about whether a protective order should be sought to restrict the use of the testimony. What are the issues in the case? Does it have public appeal? Is there reason to believe that the actors involved in a given case have an incentive or a history of embarrassing or harassing opponents? Will there be testimony that would be embarrassing, personally humiliating, or professionally damaging? Are there any laws, rules, or regulations in place in your jurisdiction that already, in some way, forbid the uploading of deposition transcripts or recordings? Do your clients know that their deposition transcript or recording might be posted online? Is this something that should be discussed with clients or deponents, to determine whether a protective order should be sought. Is a protective order prior to deposition the only remedy against widespread circulation of the deposition transcripts or recordings? Are there any other remedies available once the transcript or recordings are posted online? Or is it a lost cause at that point? Is there any obligation in your jurisdiction relating to the rules of professional responsibility To tell clients that deposition transcripts and recordings, like many court filings that are now searchable online thanks to companies that sell court filings, might be accessible online and forever. And how does that possibility affect the way that you prepare your deponents for deposition? Finally, should a protective order be sought as a matter of course in every or nearly every case, should that be something on your regular deposition checklist? Remember that the federal rules and most state rules do not impose restrictions on the use of discovery outside the confines of the case. It's up to us to anticipate the potential misuse of deposition testimony and to get ahead of it before the depositions begin. As I said earlier, there are an enormous number, tens of thousands of deposition videos posted online. And not just for celebrities or political figures, of just ordinary people giving testimony in ordinary cases. It's a fact that the swift rise of social media and the Internet has been a game changer in terms of how people interact and share information. Unlike traditional media, social media platforms and the Internet allow anyone to create and share content immediately without any formal editorial gatekeeping or oversight. So this has created some new challenges for the advisory committees that review and update the rules governing depositions, who have struggled to keep up with the pace of technological change. The laws and regulations that govern discovery and court proceedings in general were developed in a different era, and they often struggle to address the complex and rapidly evolving nature of online behavior. And so as a result, there are many areas where the possibility of the misuse of social media and the Internet is not adequately addressed by current rules. That means it's up to us to anticipate problems and to limit the use appropriately. Fortunately, the good cause standard in this respect is not an onerous one. And I suspect that in most cases, your courts will readily appreciate the risks in the Internet era and with the rise of AI of allowing deposition testimony to be developed without any guardrails for its distribution. All right, that's it for today. Interesting topic. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.